0: Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Everybody's going to think they're in a toxic relationship when all they can see is the way I'm hurting and what the other person does to me. But the very thing that makes your relationship toxic is actually what also makes it beautiful. It's
2: Violet Benson, your favorite meme queen and the big sis you didn't ask for, but need welcome. You almost adulting. Almost adulting. Almost adulting. Are you ready? Hello, my beautiful besties, and welcome to another beautiful Sunday of Vault Archives. Correct we have changed the name of our Sunday's episodes based on the majority of you coming to me and telling me that that's your favorite name mine as well so this is where we're going with instead of blast from the past these are vault archives these are the episodes from the past that were erased from my podcast list or never made it to the podcast they are now coming back and you will have a chance to fully listen to them. I also have episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesdays, it is Confession Corner where I get to answer a bunch of your questions where you call in or i get to include you guys in the episode by having you call in and tell outlandish stories it's my favorite time they're short episodes 25 minute episodes and i get to include you so don't forget to tune into the tuesday episodes and thursdays are the episodes that are solo or with the guests and they're the full hour and now Sunday episodes are the episodes where they are a blast from the past, but are known now as the vault archives. And of course on Fridays, I post, I post the full Thursday episode on YouTube. So if you are dying to see these episodes on YouTube, I have that channel. So go on Almost Adulting YouTube channel and you will find the episodes that you are listening to. And I post them every Friday. And then if you can't get enough of me, then make sure to tune in to my other show on Spotify Live called Hey Besties every Thursday at 7 p.m. Pacific Time and 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Yeah, so today's episode is one of my favorite episodes. You will learn so much from this episode with Empathy Therapist Figs. His voice is so soothing. And honestly, your toxic relationships may actually have a chance once you finish listening to this episode. No joke. On this episode, we discuss different types of empathy and having empathy for yourself, the importance of that, becoming the one you've been waiting for. I feel like I've I've even said it before in some episodes, and it's because of him. Coping mechanisms that we have, what your partner is really feeling but not saying when you two fight, the type of lover that you are. Then we dive into turning your toxic relationship back into love the type of love that you attract, being emotionally unavailable and reaching true intimacy, self-sabotaging and why I feel safer to be alone sometimes, especially for people like me, what attachment style you are. Like I told you, we're going to be talking a lot about attachment styles this month of love and relationships, um, which attachment styles you are based on your childhood trauma and why it is so hard to let go of a relationship when the other person has moved on and so much more. Definitely check out his site at the end of this episode to learn more. I'm pretty sure, though, the coupon at the end of this episode no longer works, so probably don't try it. But let me know if you think I should have him back on the podcast with an updated episode. I was thinking potentially for September, which will be self-growth and mental health check-in month on the podcast. So I would love to hear from you and your thoughts on having him back Anyway, I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to my Spotify Live show, Hey Besties on Spotify Live, and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Almost Adulting, please. <laughs> okay. I love you. Enjoy the episode. Bye. Today, I have a very special guest. He goes, his nickname is Figs, but I, I'm i so upset because I'm going to butcher your full name and I'm... Why don't you say your name so I don't have
1: to. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. And um, my full name is Fiocra O'Sullivan.
2: So or O'Sullivan, or Good. best known as Figs.
1: Figs.
2: Um, that's his next name. So he is basically a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified in emotionally focused therapy for couples through counseling for individual and couples, mm. right? Yeah. That's- and you basically help people work out how to love better understand each other, feel safe within yourself, feel safe in your love, feel safe with your partner, heal from different types of losses, cheating or grief, um, deal with arguments with your partner, achieve intimacy and mm. things like that, right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: Okay. And you are located in San Francisco.
1: I'm, yeah, physically in San Francisco.
2: Yes. And everyone can find your website is an Cool. Dot com. Yeah. But we'll talk about that later. Okay, so... Um, I'm really excited to have you on because I live for um, feelings and emotions and empathy and everything, so this is kind of great. Awesome. Uh, um, I I wrote so many questions, but okay, let's just start. My number one thing that I was wondering is, is empathy something that you're born with or do you develop it over the years?
1: Well, I definitely don't think you're born with it. (laughs) If you've ever spent any time with little kids, in fact, one of the things that's actually a really good thing for parents to realize with little kids is it takes a while before they're developmentally ready to have empathy. And so a lot of parents struggle with that. Like they see their kid hit another, you know, kid on the playground, and they just like, how could you do that? Don't you know when that happens to you, like how bad you feel? But kids aren't really able to start developing empathy until they're like, at the very earliest, like, really, kindergartners, you can, you can start the process of helping them. So, so no, we, we, it's something we learn over time.
2: But I've noticed that there's some people, when we, come, when we come to adults, some people seem to have more empathy than others.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and look, there's definitely, you know, nature-nurture part of that. Like, and I don't get too technical, right, there, there's um, conceptual empathy. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I have felt sadness and something happened to you today and I can see you're sad and I conceive of you being sad. And then there's the ability to physically feel empathy. And a good example of that would be I see you jump off a table onto the ground and I actually imagine my legs landing and I feel a physical pain. I literally feel a physical pain in my body. And of course, as a parent, you know, I've got two little kids as a parent, I have that all the time. Right. Because my kids are sprinting down the road. They are fearless. And I I picture them falling and I feel physical pain. Right. So not well, you know, I'd say the vast majority of people can can get conceptual empathy. Oh, you're you lost your granny. Right. Like, you know. Right. Um, I get how you would be sad. Uh, But not as many people could actually feel deeply the sadness with you as you're feeling it.
2: Can a person lack some empathy but still know how to love or feel love?
1: Um, Well, sure. You know, obviously what I do for a living is I try and help people learn how to have empathy. So people starting the process with me where they're lacking, quote unquote, empathy, like, that's okay. Um. But you try and help them have the kind of experiences where they could actually uh, learn how to be an empathic other to their partner, to their friends, family, to the world, you know.
2: How can you have uh, on your website when I was going through some stuff, you said how you help people have empathy for yourself, which I think that's so important And like having compassion for yourself, especially through hard times. Like, So what do you mean by how can you have empathy for yourself?
1: Yeah, so so one of the easiest ways, and again, I smile because again, I hope I don't start sounding crazy to your listeners and viewers. I would be tired for that. Oh, good. Exactly. Good. That's true. Right. Um, So instead of thinking of yourself as one person, which of course you're not, that's actually an illusion. There are many subjectivities inside you. There's actually many different violets, right? There's the violet that like, I can't believe it took so long to drive here. And then there's the you that's excited. There's the you that feels sad. There's the you that like can feel ashamed of yourself, right? There's just so many different versions of you all inside this one container that is I am violet, right? Right. So just for a moment, we're going to just talk about two of that multiplicity that you really are. And two of those are there's a very vulnerable you that hurts unless we'll talk about love and relationship, right? So let's say like you're in a relationship and you were um, left Mm -hmm. for some reason or another and it really hurts. It's really, really sad. It's very painful, and it's hard to get out of bed in the morning. It's hard to look at your friends or your family because it's too embarrassing and shameful that your partner left you. Um, that That's enough pain to be in. Then there's often a second person within you, your multiplicity, that people then create because they actually think this is a helpful voice. Whereas now that second person comes in and sees Violet lying in her bed all upset and sad and says to her.
2: You're pathetic.
1: Exactly. (laughs) You are pathetic. Look at you. You should be strong right now. Feeling sad and lying in bed all day. Okay. Empathy would be telling that particular Violet to go fuck yourself. Mm -hmm. Leave her alone. She's hurting enough. And then you would call on a third Violet that's going to actually come in also and say, come here. Violet, it's OK. You're hurting. Of course you'd be sad. This is awful. You love them so much. And the fact that he's gone, of course, you're going to be lying here for the week and it's OK. And you don't have to lie here on your own. I'm going to be here with you and love you. And you can be as sad as long as you want. I love that. So, um, that would be a way, obviously, that you'd be empathic to yourself when you're hurting.
2: I love that. I love that whole explanation. That was amazing. Okay. Um, so is that also part of um, when you were talking about feeling safe, feeling safe to be your true self in life and in love?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, well, actually, you know, when I was doing a little reading on you, right, on your website and looking at some of your shows, I actually think you modeled this pretty well, right, that you, your journey is you have wounded places inside, and instead of covering them up and being like, you know, we all do a little bit, right, but instead of being like, yo... I'm violent and I'm like killer cool, right? The whole point of this show, right, is that you're like, you know, I've got messy places inside, I make mistakes, and you own it, mm. you embody it, right, and then you share it authentically with others. And and that's, you know, so instead of trying to deny who you are and all the places that you're hurting inside, um, how do we integrate those parts of ourselves into our story of ourselves and then be... Like brave enough to then meet the world that way.
2: How can I be the one I've been waiting for, instead of me waiting, instead yeah. of me waiting for someone to come my way? Yeah. You were also talking about um, changing that perspective and being the one that you wait for. Right. Is that also part of being like true to yourself and like having <coughs> empathy for yourself?
1: Yeah. So let me. So that that particular expression um, here's where that is born out of and. It's terrible. I don't remember where that quote originally comes from, be the one you've been waiting for. And then I added to it and I wrote a piece on my own life. I think it's called, um, what's it called again? The Place I'll Go Before I Die? Yes. Right. And um, thank you. I don't even remember what things I wrote. But, but so here's the deal, right? When you're little, when you're little, there are moments in life... You, me, everybody listening or watching, there are moments in life where you did not get all the love you needed. And I don't care how amazing your parents are, right? It, like, look, there are moments with my kids, I have to put them in the car and put the seatbelt on them in the back, and I'm sitting in the front, and they're like, how could you, <laughs> right? Like, you know what I mean? You're like, no, we got to go from A to B. You got to be strapped in, right? But they're devastated, you right? You're so unloving and unkind, right? They don't have those words, but that's what they're thinking, right? They're really hurt and injured, right? So even like best case scenario, they're hurting inside and they have this place inside them where they feel whether it's A, nobody's there for me, right? I'm alone, I'm abandoned, right? Or B, the simplest way to think of it, they feel rejected, They feel like me being me is not enough. I'm a disappointment, right? They're always unhappy with me. And when this person was growing up in their home, there was no way to resolve that issue. Like I couldn't like let's say like I felt like mom was never here because she had to work three jobs and it wasn't even her fault. But I was alone a lot and it was heartbreaking. Well, I had to adapt. I had to survive. I couldn't go to mom and say, "Hey, mom, by the way, do you know like when I'm four or five, you know the way you have three jobs? I'm actually feeling kind of alone and abandoned in here, and I, I'd really love to have this reparative, missing experience of you with you that you actually stayed at home all day with me today, right? Mm-hmm. You know." It's just not going to happen. Mom is not equipped to do it because she actually has to work, to put food on the table and pay the rent. So it couldn't happen then. No one was there. And this is a good example because mom was not being bad. She literally couldn't be there. Right. No one was there. So now here I am, like, you know, 25, right? You're like 25. Sure. Okay. 25. Like here I am now, a grown-up, 25 years old, and um, I... Have those feelings still inside me where I'm alone. Why won't you be here? Like, I, I, all those feelings are there. But then again, remember who could, who could sprint in the door? Violet, (laughs) you are not alone. I am here. And it's uh, again, the same story like that you could actually be the loving presence to yourself now that wasn't there back then. So that is how we are becoming and being to ourselves the one we've been waiting for.
2: What about the coping mechanisms that you develop when you're younger or throughout the year? So then let's say like if mo- if my mother was working three jobs and she wasn't around, then obviously I'm not developed enough in my brain as a child to, to to think about that I'm feeling that I'm experiencing exactly. those emotions instead I'll develop a coping mechanism where, right. where it's okay like I'll just isolate myself or I just won't say anything and I won't really feel much or whatever so what do you do with those type of coping mechanisms that you develop as you keep getting older?
1: Yeah well so I'll tell you what happens most of the time is people keep playing out those coping mechanisms as, you know so firstly to our coping mechanisms we should do fist bump thank you right? You helped me get to where I am today. Like, so I'm so grateful. The only reason we have coping mechanisms is because we had to, we had okay. to survive. And then there's some point in life, hopefully, that we realize women maybe in their thirties, men maybe when they're 60. No, well, hopefully thirties, forties. <laughs> well, you know, men men a little bit slower, right? <laughs> no, in general, right? Terrible. But Well, we realize, oh shit, these coping mechanisms that I do to survive so that I limit the amount I feel abandoned or rejected or feel like I'm too much or not enough, they're not working they're actually getting me in more trouble. And so hopefully, and this is a crazy thing to say, that your emotional pain gets so great in a moment of relationship that you realize, hold on a second, I gotta take a look at myself and be curious, what is it that I do and what is it I co-create with another human being that ends up in this much pain? So then we're gonna study, right? So if I know what my reaction is, let's say, let's say like every time you hurt my feelings, I'm like, Violet, you're a terrible person, <laughs> right? Like imagine like, every, like I was a real good blamer and criticizer. At some point, I hope I can go like, okay, so that's my story about Violet. It's just a story, right? It doesn't matter whether it's true or not, which I know it's not true, right? But, right. but like, here's my story of Violet. And the only reason I'm in the story of Violet is because I'm hurting inside. And so now I'm gonna go digging inside Well, how am I hurting? Okay, well, so if Violet wasn't there for me and my judgment of her, she's a terrible mean person, oh, damn it, that's what it is. (laughs) I really hurt when I don't feel I matter to her. I just want to matter and it's actually a sad place for me and it's scary and I feel powerless. And
2: I'm projecting.
1: Well, yeah, so the projecting thing is what we start. Yeah, exactly. I'm projecting. I'm doing that thing I do to protect myself, this coping mechanism where I become a really good fast talker and blamer and criticizer. It's how I think I'm strong, but it's not a strength, right? It's just this way I protect the fact that I'm hurting. But So then, like, let's say it just takes me 30 minutes. I've got 30 minutes where I'm like, Violet, you're terrible right? But it takes me 30 minutes to go inside and go, look, why would I be thinking Violet's terrible? That has nothing to do with Violet. It's just to do what's happening inside of me. Oh, shit. It hurts when I don't think I matter to her because mattering mattering to Violet is really important to me. And it's sad. And so now I could come back in minute 31 and go, Violet, you know, the way I was kind of being mean to you and critical of you for the last 30 minutes. Actually, what was really happening deep down inside, I was really sad and I felt powerless because knowing that I'm important to you means so much to me. So that's, you know, how we, I still have my coping mechanism. I, the red mist still descends, but I can shorten the Length of time that I'm in my reactivity, whether I'm a shutter down or isolate or blame I or- shut
2: down. So, like, I what you were describing is a guy that I uh, was recently talking to, and I feel like that's how he would deal with things. It sounded like it was like a bl- like he's a victim and he's blaming game. And then my reaction is right. obviously probably my own defense mechanism where I completely shut down. Yeah, and there's so many things I'm thinking about and I want to say, but I don't know how to react. So I'm just completely, I'm silent. And then to other people, it comes off as like, oh, she's so cold or she doesn't care. But instead I'm like, I need to process like every, like all my emotions and I feel like I don't matter. So like, I don't even want to say anything.
1: Right. Yeah. And look, that's awful. Right. And, but here's the thing, here's the key phrase, this next thing I'm going to say, it's awful for both of you. So, so this is the key thing, right? Because when, when a couple, Two people that are important to each other are in a moment of disconnection. There's actually four things happening, right? Um, and let's just, just because it's easier, this is just you and me, just for a second, right? We'll just role play, right? Your is um,
2: going to be so mad. It's <laughs> like, you've been dating Kyla like this no, whole time.
1: <laughs> no, I, I, By the way, sometimes my clients get really confused there. I'm always talking about I as if I'm the client, and they're yeah. like, are you talking about me now again or <laughs> you, right? But so look, so there's a pla- so there's just these four things happening. When we're in a fight. Right. I'm hurting because being connected to you means so much. Right. And then that's number one. Number two, there's stuff I do to protest the fact that I'm hurting. So I'm a shutter down or a blamer. Right. So in this case, right, that I'm a blamer. Because right? it looked like you weren't there for me, and now I'm hurting inside because you being there means so much. That's why it hurts. It's a vulnerable experience. And I cannot tolerate this vulnerability. So I rise up in the number two, you. My eyes narrow, and I start telling you how terrible you are, which hits number three. <gasps> it hits the place in violet that, like, I'm not enough again. I'm unacceptable. Which is a place I know from one of your other podcasts that you actually know deep inside you in your own life. So now I'm back, right? My body, my body's back in this place. I'm unacceptable again. I'm in trouble. And it's so unbearable that I do four. I react. And the way I react is in the same way as my boyfriend reacts, right? Yeah, I don't start going, oh, yeah, well, let me tell you about you. I, like, freeze and just get smaller and tighter,
2: I get resentful and I shut yeah, down.
1: Right. I get, and you shut like down. Like, as you're
2: talking, I'm looking at you, I'm just, like, <laughs> so resentful. i going say to that. Right. Yeah.
1: But Joe, so here's the thing. So you do that, then it brings us back to one. So now he's going to feel even more. See, she's not here. So now I'm going to have to double down and do even more of my blaming and criticizing, which, of course, now you're going to be in more trouble, unacceptable. So now I'm going to get even more resentful. And I'm going to, like, withhold even more, Right. Um, and on and on it goes. We just keep doing this yeah. one, two, three, four. Yeah, because then
2: my brain will process. I'm resentful. I shut down, and my brain right away is processing an escape route to protect myself. So my, my reaction is like, okay, how do I exit this whole relationship right, right away? Right. Because this person doesn't care about me because they're doing this and this and this, and I'm already not seeing, obviously, them being they're hurting. Hurt.
1: Exactly. Because
2: I, I just see them hurting me. So then... So yeah, it's so crazy how you can you can have completely different styles of how you react to things yeah, and you're just like completely pushing each other away
1: exactly. And by the way, when you say it's so crazy, that is the norm. the vast majority of relationships, uh, the relentless lover from you know, the empathy so yeah quiz
2: so really quick, I took a quiz on empathy with an eye dot com. I took this quiz to see the type of lover that I am. I took it last night though. So I feel like I was questioning myself. So I'm not sure if I'm hundred percent correct. Cause sometimes i was thinking, do I feel like this? Or is this what I think people think of me? But anyway, I got relentless lover and everyone should try to take this quiz, but I can see how I can be a relentless lover where it means that I, um, really want compassion for my partner. Or like I, I want, like, when I'm hurting, I want to be around them even more or something, right? Yeah,
1: I mean, look, what you just described right now of where it looks like my partner is disappointed in me and I'm actually really hurting inside and now I'm starting to pull away and be unavailable would not be... Like, look, we'd have to get to know you much better to know what your attachment style is. But on the surface, that
2: doesn't sound like a. relentless It doesn't word. sound like that's a relentless lover, right? That's why I was like, I feel like I'm confused. Yeah,
1: with you know, which one I'm doing. Yeah, but that's okay. But but look, I want to like here's the most important thing, right? I
2: think I maybe I used to be a relentless lover, right. and I feel like it made me feel so rejected by doing that. So now right. I completely, like with my ex boyfriend, we're on and off for seven years. Mm. And I feel like I've learned that that just pushes people more away. So now I completely just give up right away.
1: Right, and so mo- and so, just like we have a um, we have an expression as couples counselors that someone is probably probably still a relentless lover deep down inside, but they're a burnt out relentless lover.
2: Me, okay, that's me. <laughs> so they may
1: look on the surface like they're um, a reluctant lover, but really they're they're actually that's just a mask they're wearing because there's so much pain for trying to be loved and seeming like they're too much.
2: Yeah, like when, if I upset my partner, whether or not I'm wrong or he's wrong, regardless, I will be really sad afterwards. But like, I will just be sad on my own and like really, really sad. Right. Like, it hurts me to even hurt other people. Right. But I yeah. just don't like, no, people are not aware of it because like, they just, I don't tell them.
1: Yeah. But I still well, feel it. Well, I can see it now, right? You <laughs> feel it right now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay.
1: So let me come here. Let me just go back to one thing. So we (laughs) won't try and, I won't be a therapist. I won't try and access your feelings and make you cry on your podcast. But come here. Let me say one, one quick thing, right? The key, most important thing, all roads to a better relationship have to pass through our ability to see this is not a me problem or a you problem. This is an us problem. And it's an us problem that's only happening because both of us are hurting right now because we mean so much to each other. And both of us are reacting in ways because our connection seems to be threatened in ways that are actually making things worse. Now, if two people, two people that love each other are always going to scare the living daylights out of each other because we're that important to each other, it's going to look like, did, did you go away? Where, I thought you were here with me. Where did you go? And then the person that hears that statement is like, oh, Jesus, am I in trouble again? Right. They're gonna scare the living daylights out of each other all the time. But the only reason they're scaring the living daylights out of each other is because they mean so much to each other.
2: That's interesting. But now I feel like every person that's good that's like in a toxic relationship thinks like, oh, that's why we fight so much because well, we love so each other. So when you so say much. you're
1: in a toxic relationship, until someone has actually tried to see the system, look. Everybody's going to think they're in a toxic relationship when all they can see is the way I'm hurting and what the other person does to me. Two people that all they have access to are two of the four parts that are happening. I'm hurting and you did it to me. And then, of course, your partner is now, I'm hurting and you're doing it to me. As long as two people only have access to only two of the four things that are happening, yeah, of course it's going to seem toxic. But the very thing that makes your relationship toxic is actually what also makes it beautiful. Because it's only happening because you love each other. This is the way, like when people come to see me, their relationship looks like they, we get all the ingredients that makes their relationship look like a pile of shit, right? They're fighting and it looks toxic. And then we just rearrange the ingredients, rearrange their perspective of what's happening. And those exact same ingredients that looks like a pile of shit, like a toxic relationship, actually makes a beautiful and delicious cake. And then when we help them make that transition from seeing this pile of shit to it's a beautiful and delicious cake, then we help them eat the cake. And you know what eating the cake is? Loving each other. Aww, that's sweet. Uh,
2: (laughs) What does it mean when you meet someone and you? This this is not about me. This is about oh no, your
1: cousin's sister. No, no, but I'm no no. This is
2: about. But I'm just, i just, I am really Everybody asks questions. me
1: questions and tell me. No, it's not. Like, just so you know. No, but this, this isn't really isn't religion. about
2: me. No, this no, is no, about no. someone I went out with. Yeah. What does it mean when you meet someone and you feel like you're not good enough for them? Where's that coming from?
1: Right. Well, again, you know, I, I know you're not a big fan of the whole childhood wounding, you know, explains <laughs> our behaviors in relationship. But look, we, I believe we all have unworthy places inside and we recognize another people. The part of me that feels not good enough, and there's two different types of not good enough, right? I'm going to be not enough because I won't be funny enough. I won't be engaged enough. I have to spend too much alone time, whatever it is, right? I won't be able to give him enough time. Um, and then, of course, the other one is I'll be too much. My feelings are too much, right? I'm going to, like, seem like... So anyway, so some variation of I feel like I'm not going to be enough because something in my body recognizes with this one, I could end up back feeling all those feelings that are the most painful things for me to feel. Now, that can be a huge hook for people too, right? Because ultimately what our organism wants to do is re-enter an experience like that where I'm back in the not-enoughness or I'm back into too-muchness, but I could have the reparative experience. I could actually now go from the biggest hook for people is like actually you're the one that I don't feel like I'm enough for, and I really want to be enough for you, right? So that's, because that that would actually be real, real healing, right? But it also, of course, is probably going to march that couple into some pain and suffering before we get a chance for healing to happen.
2: Right, because, so that comes from, that's their issue that they're experiencing for some reason when they meet a person, they, it's something triggers in them and they feel that trauma with that specific person, but like... That sucks for that person then, because that person didn't do anything wrong, and then they have to go through this like weird battle or something well, where well, so someone feels like they're not enough for them, and I'm not, that person have <coughs> not even doing anything wrong.
1: Yeah, well, so look, here's what I find, right? The pe- absolutely, right? Yes. And, right, most of the time, let's say you're a, a 6 out of 10 a wounding on the, uh, I feel abandoned, I'm scared of being abandoned, I really want to be important to someone you're probably going to draw someone into your life that's a 6 out of 10 on the oh god i hope my partner's not going to be disappointed in me <laughs> i really hope like are you happy with me now how about now you're so if you really want to start drawing so look Someone that's going to dance with you, like, if you're like, you know, like, oh, my God, I really hope I'm going to be enough for you. Most likely for them to actually enter that dance with you, they have an equal amount of, oh, my God, I really, I really hope, I really hope you'll be here for me. Aww. Right. So, um, so and then if you want to start being with people that have less wounding, do the work on yourself to be less wounded. And then you'll draw and attract people that have actually also gone from a 6 out of 10 to a 3 out of 10 on the opposite side of the equation.
2: So then those people who may feel like they're not enough uh, for someone else, uh, they're obviously carrying scars from old relationships and from their childhood, you're saying that they should work on themselves first before they're going to enter into these relationships? Well,
1: so I'm a big believer the best place to do personal work in a lot of cases, especially around this, is inside a couple. Because here's the, let's say you came to see me on your own, right, for individual counseling. We just talk about your stuff. Like, we'd be talking about it. Let's say we sat you and your boyfriend down on a couch together. We're not going to just be talking about it. It's going to happen right now. And we're going to get to work on all of these vulnerable feelings. And we're going to get to see all the stuff you do. Um, in real time. And then we'll see your boyfriend's vulnerable feelings and we'll see all the stuff he does real time. So we'll get to try and transition that moment of escalation where your limbic systems are firing and you both feel you're under threat and try and help you get to a place where actually it's okay. We're not under threat. We're two people that love each other and we just got scared for a moment and find that neutral empathic moment that we can then fill with love and compassion and soothing and nurturing each other. So you got to do the work on yourself, but the best place to do it is inside a relationship where both of you are willing to be curious about yourself and right. curious about the system. Because two this, this people
2: stuff. need to try to make it work. It can't just be like one person wants to make it work; the other person just feels like the victim, but they're not willing to do the work on themselves.
1: Yeah, but you know, but it's okay for one person to start the process. Skeptical. You don't have to yeah. do. The Example I often give is let's say you are going to go to Disneyland. You're like, Psh, I don't fucking go to Disneyland, but at least you'll get in the car. And then yeah. maybe you're still. By the time you get to the gate, you're still. Why are we even here? It's okay. You're still here.
2: I feel like I like stiffed up and toughened up having this conversation because I feel like yeah. my my um, I've been told that whenever I feel emotions now, I try to feel in my body too right. to understand where it's That's coming great. from. Perfect. So I can feel my body got stiff because mm. that which means I was experiencing resentment mm. when we're having this conversation. I right. think I was experiencing and my I literally like toughened up. I felt re- like my body was so stiff, and I'm like
1: right yeah absolutely and come here resentment so this is resentment is one of those signpost emotions it's a secondary emotion resentment is not a primary emotion so if you're feeling resentment there's another feeling much deeper down inside and again so remember the two people Mm -hmm. you have one that protects the vulnerable side one inside you and that protector knows how to feel resentment Fuck you for hurting that girl inside me, right? But so that's great. So now we know the protector is here who can feel resentment. But who is she protecting? Who is she? What does she feel like? What's it like to be her, to feel rejected or abandoned? And and so, and so that's the one that hopefully we can get to that I'm actually really hurting. And then we could share our hurt, vulnerable place.
2: What does it mean to be emotionally unavailable and... How do you even know whether emotionally unavailable? Like, sometimes I think a lot of us um, do things to avoid intimacy, including myself, and without even realizing, and we sit there and we're like, oh, that person's emotionally unavailable. But, like, what if I'm emotionally unavailable? How do you know?
1: Yeah, well, look, on some level, I think we're all emotionally unavailable. Intimacy is really, really vulnerable, right? I always like, competency is the enemy of intimacy for people for people to be truly intimate, they're going to have to feel really incompetent and they're going to feel really vulnerable. So true intimacy is not two people they meet at a bar or on whatever strip that people meet at in, in LA, <laughs> yeah. right? And go, hello, and the other person's, yeah, right? And they're like, oh, you're great now, right? And they're like all over each other, right? They're not, that's just, you know, as Chris Rock says, that's their representatives getting together, right? At some point, you know, after six months of their representatives getting together, right, they're going to be two people that, you know, I'm actually, I'm actually kind of vulnerable and I'm not sure I'm fully chosen by you. And the other person is, mm, I'm a little worried that if you really knew who I am, I might be unacceptable. And can they stay down there in being incompetent and vulnerable and still connect with each other? No. Right. So, and that's the work then. How can I tolerate moments of being incompetent and vulnerable and staying inside myself and being willing to meet another human being from this place? And eventually, like, hopefully people grow up and they want a real relationship and they don't want to just keep, you know, um moving, this didn't work, it's too hard. I'm out. I'm gonna get back on my dating site and try the next one. Keep going, like knock yourself out. There's nothing wrong with it, but at some point I hope people will stand in the fire and be vulnerable, be incompetent, get to know themselves and um try and share that vulnerable self with another.
2: I've noticed that um a lot of times people are really scared, obviously to fall in love, to be vulnerable yeah. it's scary and because we all start to feel that like fear of rejection or abandonment. And, uh, we start to assume the worst. And I've noticed that sometimes it almost feels in an odd way when you suddenly get into those negative emotions, it feels a sense of comfort and safety now in your sad point versus you feel almost unsafe to try to pursue, to fall in love. And you feel almost more safe to just assume the worst, like how, what what are people doing? Like, how do we fix that within ourselves to kind of be able to take a leap? Like, do you know what I'm trying to I say? Do. Like, you start no, to feel yeah, this weird absolutely. comfort. Like, I'd rather almost just assume this is going to fail. And I feel like a safety net assuming in my like negative emotions and I feel like I feel more safe in that than to actually be next to the partner that I really like and I want to pursue
1: yeah look I I think you said it very well it's safer right this is a known place and even though it's a painful place it's a knowable place there's no unknowns in it and I'm, I'm not actually facing further rejection or abandonment right um so it is an actual safer place whereas the reaching out being vulnerable, like I'm actually really scared and I want to be with you and it's it's actually hard for me to feel this way, that's infinitely more scary. That re- takes real, real courage, right? That's arguably... The hardest threshold for people to be able to cross when they actually feel they're most scared of being abandoned or they're most scared of being rejected and they're closest to feeling unworthy in some way to somehow sit in those feelings and still reach out to another and let themselves be seen was terrifying. And so that, what I do is I march people up to those thresholds and hold them there and help them, um, you know, accept, be in the vulnerable feelings. And I need lots of tissues in my office. And then to reach out and see if, like, someone would be there for them. And then, of course, I help them love each other.
2: Is it normal to, I was reading that apparently when you feel anxious in the beginning of the relationship, it's a normal feeling that you're meant to to feel like they kind of have to have those, you start to feel those fears in the beginning and like you you may be too much and all that. And a lot of people, when they experience that anxiety in the beginning, when they date someone, they assume that means like, like what is it, fight or flight or whatever? Yeah,
1: fight, flight, freeze.
2: So it's like yeah. run away versus I was just reading that it's actually very normal just to feel those feelings of anxiety in the beginning when you're dating someone. Yeah. What is that?
1: Well, so, Lord, you know, my definition of what love is ultimately... I mean, there's romantic love when you're first meeting someone and it's just really exciting and you look like you're an amazing breakdancer and they think you're an amazing moonwalker. I
2: love
0: (sighs) That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes.
1: Talk about starting the morning right. Just
0: like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Uh, uh, uh. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be Convenient,
2: comfortable Ah.
1: What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have?
2: Or the friends you find along the way? (laughs) Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in Every single day
1: With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer
0: the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit hyundaiusa.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.
2: Love beginnings.
1: Hey, exactly. The beginnings are great, but ultimately what real um, love really is an emotional bond, and our emotional bond is so important to me that uh, you to me, are the one that I want to be emotionally bonded with. And if we're not emotionally bonded with, it really hurts and it's scary for me. Right. So, so that when we're in the beginning stages of a relationship and I look over at this person and I'm starting to feel, oh, you're the one I'd like to be emotionally bonded with. Right. It's actually pretty scary. Like, the, these, the, everything that's amazing about love and relationship. Um, if it's amazing, then there's also the possibility that we're going to lose it. Uh, so they always go hand in hand, right? Like it's always that way, right? The yin and the yang. Archetypes always come in pairs, right? Like if, some, if you're incredibly happy that it's a fleeting moment, you're definitely going to lose it. So you can never experience true joy without the actual grief of it passing. You yeah. cannot really experience true love but be without being aware of the pain of it's go it's definitely gonna go away.
2: But you all yeah, and I agree. But like that's why I love someone who's experiencing the really like low lows. because yeah. then you have those moments of joy and you really appreciate Absolutely. it even more because uh,
1: of that. And that's the other thing I was gonna say. The low lows, if you're really look. True embodied sadness, grief, you know, that's your that's aliveness. Like, you know, we wanna one of the things I would say I don't help people feel better, I help people feel their feelings better. You you can be as as fully alive as you could possibly be in the midst of your sadness. If you allow yourself to have that sadness, right? Like, life wants to live, and if what, what's knocking on your life's door right now is sadness, let's do it.
2: No, I agree. I think like you're literally crying out the anxiety and you're crying out the the sadness and you're healing. It's that's what's so funny. Like uh, there were just fires near my house, right. which is not funny at all. No. And the a few days ago when there were fires next to my house, I had no expression or feelings about it. I was just like, okay, what's the next step? And I was kind of not. I wasn't irritated with myself, but it was. Obviously, my defense mechanism were completely shut down. And then there was a fire again next to my house, and something clicked in my head, and I started to feel emotion. I started crying, and then I started laughing, and I was kind of like taping on my Instagram stories, which looked like I was having a breakdown. (laughs) But the reason, like, I started to laugh because I was like, holy shit, I'm experiencing emotions. And I was like almost in a weird way so happy that they were finally coming out of me because I was so – I was kind of worried about myself before that, that something – So, obviously, a defense mechanism clicked in me because I stopped talking to a guy, and I think that completely shut me down. And suddenly, I was experiencing zero emotions about anything. Right. So, it was like me being so excited that I was like finally feeling something.
1: No, that's wonderful. And I I think uh, you obviously have an intuitive, natural sense that emotions in motion, they want to move. And, and a lot of times we get scared of our feelings, especially the quote-unquote negative feelings, you know, being sad, being in grief, feeling ashamed. But if we interrupt them, they get stuck inside us. And so the idea is, like, can we actually let them move through us so that it makes room for something new to emerge? And I, you just gave a beautiful, real-life description of how that happened for you.
2: But I think it's also, like, a, a, a lifelong journey, to get through, to understand yourself better. Because for example, here's an example. When we start to talk, you know, I'm, I'm, I, you, you obviously make people feel really at ease. I feel at ease. We're having conversation about empathy, things like that. So I'm a very, I'm a pretty empathic person. So I feel everything. So as we're having these conversations, I feel it in my heart yeah. in my body. But my defense mechanism is, you know, to not experience those emotions. Right. So I will, um, I will, like, just, like, scratch, like, you see here it's mm, my nails, so I would scratch myself, like, yeah. dig into my skin, right. which is what I was right. doing as we're having this conversation so I can keep, you know, very, right. so we can keep having this conversation totally. without me crying, not understanding why I'm crying. <laughs>
1: right, yeah.
2: But, like, so I feel like that's why it takes, no matter how much I've learned about myself and grown as a person, these, like, I guess, like you said, like, even though I hate, I hate exp- uh, talking about childhood stuff. This yeah. childhood things do come right. into life because yeah. this is where it's coming from,
1: right? And this is how you're resourcing yourself. One way in, like you, you're, you're, um, you're resourcing yourself. On one hand, this looks like this is this bad thing that you're digging your nails into your hand, but this is what you're doing right now in order to be able to survive and be present in the moment. It's a beautiful thing, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. I'm sure there's loads of ways, you know, that I've been resourced. Like, oh, I keep rubbing my legs, right? Oh, I keep my hands keep going. Like I'm, I'm res- resourcing myself right now too.
2: Right? Yeah. So. That's so interesting. Yeah, like I literally dig into my skin with my nails. It's so right. <laughs> It's like such a weird habit. <laughs> um, okay, I, I am wondering um, why do some? Because I want to talk about attachment styles. I wasn't even familiar with it until recently, and I thought it was really cool. I'm still, I still want to do a lot of research into it. And I was wondering, why do some people self-sabotage their own relationships? Does that have to do with their type of um, attachment style?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, so so attachment theory, just to be clear, it's the best theory we have of what love is. And in short, love is the need to be emotionally bonded. And Attached, right? Attached equals emotional bonding, right? And so everybody's subject that needs to be emotionally bonded from the cradle to the grave. It's not an option. It's just hardwired in. If you can imagine when you were a little kid, like when you were born and say you were born a hundred thousand years ago, right? Your first needs were not food and shelter or an iPhone, right? Your, your first needs was there was a good enough other on the other side of your birth that was going to be there for you physically and emotionally. And if they weren't there for you, it made sense that you would freak out because you're actually facing an existential threat. You would die. So your whole body is built to determine, is my primary attachment figure actually there? And if it looks like they're not there, you will cry out. You'll protest, right? And like we talked about, there, there's two main ways that people protest. People, like, move towards, hey, where, where are you, right? Or they like, oh, okay, I'm going to, like, shut down and pull away, right? Yeah. And so the person that tends to move towards and is more likely to feel abandoned, the technical term in attachment theory, that person is called the anxiously attached Person. And then the person that's more likely to pull away or withdraw or get defensive, explain themselves, that person is referred to as avoidantly attached. And then there's two combos of those two. Right?
2: Oh, okay. And
1: the combos are someone that has v- a, just a teensy weensy bit of wounding in the, um, in the ability to feel abandoned and only a teensy weensy bit of wounding and the ability to feel rejected. We would call those people securely attached. Right now, there's some island of securely attached people that they've never invited me. Right. So, there are supposedly they're out there. I I don't particularly, but we all like the idea is we can all earn secure attachment. Right. Like I was saying, we can we can start climbing from sixes out of tens and both sides down to like one or two. Right. And then, of course, the fourth one is where I have a lot of wounding on both sides. I actually have a lot of wounding and feeling abandoned. No one was there for me. And I have a lot of wounding and feeling rejected like no matter what I did, it was never enough. And that, for an example, would be where I really want you close to me. Can please give me a hug. And then you give me a hug. And I'm like, not like that. I don't want your arms over. Please put your arms under.
2: Yeah, oh it sounds so familiar. Yeah, <laughs> so, I know a person like that.
1: Right. So, so, they, so it's confusing for them inside because I really want you and I get scared if you're not here. But it's also when you are here, it gets a little overwhelming and it's a bit much for me.
2: Yeah, that's really confusing.
1: It's very confusing
2: for the other person,
1: yeah, now, so look, any any wounding inside you, like if you're familiar with alchemy the turning of base metal into gold? Anyway, so alchemy is this like many like this like myth, um like folklore story of how you know people used to try and turn lead into gold, right. These emotions, this ability to feel abandoned or rejected, right, and the sadness and the pain and the anxiety and all that, that's the lead. When you go through a process of getting to know that side of you and integrating it and feeling it fully and letting it move through you and being able to stand in your authentic self and share it with another, we have turned that base metal into gold, right? So it is confusing, but... Someone that is um um has disorganized attachment that's what the fourth one is when they have a bit of both um could be an amazing couple's therapist, for example, because they can have empathy for both people right oh. right and so I, I mean I say like look i I couldn't do what I do as well as I do without having known a lot of wounding on both the abandonment side and the rejection side. My number one qualification to do what I do is I'm a wounded human being. And so if you come to my office, right, like it's my ability to empathize with you and know like, oh my God, I feel that too. Oh my God, I could do that. No wonder you're shouting right now or you're (laughs) shutting down.
2: So then a person, so let's say then a person that is really likes their partner. I'm trying to think of example. A person that really likes their partner, but then they're 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 suddenly reacting in a way that, um, um, like like they're doing things to try to push you away by saying rude things to see your reaction, see if you stay around, and you're like, why are you doing this? I'm like, I don't know, it's just who I am, and it's just like constantly trying to push you away, and the other person's confused because you're like, why are they doing that? But then they want you to come near them because obviously they want right. that love, which is what you're describing. Yeah. That's their attachment style how do they fix that?
1: Well, the first thing we do is we just study it, right? Awareness is the first thing, right? And again, ideally we could study it in the, the couple would be open to studying what they're co-creating with each other together, right? The way I'm hurting and there's the way I react and then I hurt you and then you react back. And we could actually study what that system is that we create. And then we could study each person individually so when i'm actually doing this thing where i'm like telling you to get away from me but then i want you close then we could try and get to the root what's the vulnerable experience and we could be in the vulnerable experience and then we could share what the vulnerability is underneath that reactivity and give ourselves a chance to be loved and give our partner a chance to actually be there and love us
2: Yeah, I mean that could be really exhausting for their partner (laughs) and confusing. And I mean, the partner is only human, so their partner is going to react in their own type of way. But yeah, exactly. But that's—I'm aware now that that's like an attachment style, which is kind of—I'm going to keep pushing away to hope and see how much I can uh, bother you to 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 make sure like you love me so much that you're going to stick around. But eventually, people who do that, you're going to push everyone away, so you're going to end up alone.
1: Yeah, but let me just like look, I, I. You know, I've met, like, I've worked with thousands of couples, right? I don't see couples where one person is the bad guy. When you really, really get to sit with people and know people, they're both wounded human beings, and they both have ways of protecting themselves when they're hurting. And so, again, like, I would just, like, the one thing I would just say to you in response to what you just said, it sounds like the way you were describing it there's this one person in the relationship that's really (laughs) bad. And actually, there's no way to a better relationship where one person has to carry the vast majority of the blame or fault for what's going on, right? It always takes two people to to tango.
2: Totally, yeah, I agree. No, I agree, I agree. I'm just talking about that specific attachment style.
1: Yeah, absolutely, right? And look, here's the good news, right? You know, you... Someone with um, insecure attachment is not going to drag a securely attached person down with them. But someone with secure attachment could help bring up someone with an insecure attachment.
2: Aw. Yeah. I tried.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, oh, yeah. So I don't know if we should get into it. I, I was just saying and when I was sending you questions how, like, I personally don't believe that you – I don't, I guess maybe that's my second Violet coming in where she's a strong one and that's my defense mechanism, but I don't, I almost like, I don't like it when people bring in their old scars or people like, well... My dad never said, uh, I love you to me, and that's why I'm a piece of shit person, and that's why I'm going to treat people shitty, and I feel like a lot of people would just carry things like that with them, and I think that's unfair to bring your childhood trauma um, into your new relationship, because everyone goes through trauma. People, I feel like people are so selfish sometimes, and they don't realize that everyone's hurting, like everyone's felt pain. Totally. But doesn't mean that you have to take your pain and dump it on someone else. So... What do you think about that? Yeah,
1: yeah, no, thank you. That's a great question. So look, so look, our childhood trauma is the number one thing that is dictating how we're into how we're um, our childhood experience is the number one way that we're that dictates how we interact with the world, and usually the world's uh, number one representative is our partner. If we're in a long-term relationship or if we're still a kid, the world's number one representative is our mom or our dad, right? Or our primary caregiver. So, so you're right. Like, it, it's like if someone is really hurt inside and every time they get in an altercation, they actually start to see their partner as the cause of their hurt. Um, you know, I would say if, if you're hysterical, it's historical, if for me, for me to get in a fight with you or I'm really upset with you, um, there's no way it's just what's happening right now. Like if, my, if I start like, what the hell, Violet? Like there's something else going on other than just this moment, right, between you and me, right? But that's just a fact. There's no point in going, yeah, you shouldn't be bringing your childhood trauma into this moment. Look, th- th- that's not a choice people are making. But are they willing to do the work after it's happened, right? Are they willing to do the work of, remember I said, of reverse engineering? So I spent the 30 minutes thinking, "You and I'm going to be shitty now because I'm back in those feelings. I don't like the feel, right? So let's say I spent 30 minutes. What am I going to do? 30 minutes where I cannot stop doing it. What am I going to do on minute 31? Am I going to reverse engineer my reactivity to my vulnerability and own it? Look, it's me, and I'm hurting, and I actually need you, and I know I've been pushing you away. That's the key. That's the transmutation, that this base metal that could ruin our lives, I am now converting into my magic power. What makes me a vulnerable, authentic human being that is really like vulnerable and I'm able to own it and reach out from that vulnerability.
2: Got it. So I think it just sounds like also a lot of people are not willing to do the work. Okay, because, for example, uh, my dad didn't say I love you to me or hug me until I was 24 and it's fine. And then after, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I don't know who you're telling. It's fine. They're like, well, go on. Anyway. Yeah,
2: but like we have a good relationship now because yeah. I made the decision to 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 become more vulnerable and to show emotions because obviously that made me then grow up. Being completely shut yeah. down, not feeling safe. Right. Obviously, that made me grow up not feeling safe, expressing emotions because I could get rejected. And I mean, right. I literally, I think growing up, like I was too scared to want to hug my dad or to tell him that I love them because I was like, well, what if my dad says, ew, what are you doing? And it's so, as an adult thinking about that, that sounds right. crazy. But as a child, you're like, what if my own dad rejects me? But I went past it because one day I worked enough for myself and I said, you know what? I don't care if my dad rejects me because I love him and I want him to know that I love him. So even if he doesn't say back, he's going to feel what I'm feeling. And, you know, I tried it and he hugged me back and he said, I love you back. And it's obviously been, it's been better ever since, but I had those moments where I had to get through it. So I guess for me, it gets frustrating when I meet other people that I can feel their pain and I can feel, and I can see their attachment cells. And then I feel like I work so hard on myself, and then I'm being dumped all their baggage onto me. Mm. And I think that's where my bitterness can come from because it's like I can't always be strong for everyone else. Like, I also deserve to, to, to be loved. And I right. maybe maybe it's like empathic people or like stronger people emotionally end up always drawing the more vulnerable vic- type of, um, not victims, but. Or toxic people. I don't mean toxic, but sure. you know how you kind of explain like a secure They're very
1: reactive.
2: A secure vulnerable person versus yeah. an insecure vulnerable right. person, you end up attracting yeah. each other. So
1: Well, so look, absolutely. And this is where um look, so firstly, in an ideal world, little girls wouldn't have to make the compromise that dad's not gonna get there and hug me. I'm the one that has to become the grown up and and do the reach. Like it's heartbreaking, right? And well done. It's both, right? It's sad that that's what you ha- you had to do this, right? And this is exactly you know, no one was there, but I'll be the one that I've been waiting for, and I'll make it happen, and that's great. But oh,
2: so that's what I did. I was I ended up being the one to wait you for. You were,
1: you were, and it's still sad that that that's what you had to do, right? You know, um, and so look in terms of you know, I, I make a big differentiator between when people are dating versus they've crossed the threshold of "I choose you" and you're enough for me. Like in in the world of first dating, right? It's really nervous, right? Because you're not fully chosen yet, right? You don't even know if they're dating other people, right? You're not fully chosen yet, and of course, you and or the other person doesn't know if I'm actually They're looking at me like I'm good enough for them yet. So, like, I'm neither fully chosen nor do I know if I'm actually fully acceptable to the person. That's an unbelievably vulnerable time, right? And so, during that period of time, I was like, how can you just survive without blowing yourself up? Right. To let it play out. If you're really into someone, how do I like like actually try and let this unfold without doing one of those self-sabotage thing? I'll push you away to see if you stay. Right. Or yeah. or the other person like like, you know, test you in some other way. Like, how do we stop our anxiety blowing our relationship up to see if we can Drinking. get it?
2: Just kidding. <laughs> no, yeah, kidding. I mean, no, it's no, true. Actually, no, it's not true. But, that makes
1: it worse. But, but yes, but that is something people try and do
2: to right? numb, to, to numb, numb all those emotions. Yeah. But then eventually, they have to feel it.
1: Exactly. Right.
2: They have to do the work. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So so yeah. So look, it's a really hard time when we're in the early stages of a relationship when it's uncertain what's going to happen. Right. Um, it's just hard. It's difficult.
2: Yeah, so it just means you're just not ready because you haven't done all the work.
1: Yet. Well, I mean, look, everybody deserves to. Everybody deserves to be loved. Everybody, right? Everybody's got a vulnerable little person inside, and the only reason they're acting weird is they're just trying to protect them. Right. Um, this is all. This is all that's happening. Right. And. um, the more we can see people like that, right? And I, it's really hard with our romantic partners, like in the moment to realize the more obnoxious their behavior looks, the more wounded and more lovable they are. And so poor little devil. I always give the example. Imagine like you got, you had like, like we're all little babies inside. No matter how grown up you are, you're still a little baby inside when it comes to love. Mm-hmm. And ju- just imagine like you're, you're a parent. And your five-year-old stands at the top of the stairs and they go, I hate you, mommy. I'm leaving. I've written a letter and I've had enough of you. I'm going. Now, a kind of self-emotionally actualized parent would go, oh, they love me so much. (laughs) They're so upset. They're that angry with me. Oh, this is hard. The poor little devil. Right? Right? Because they know the only reason they'd be standing at the top of the stairs and shouting and they've written their goodbye letter... They must be really hurting to be saying all this, right? And and that's a very hard transition to make with our partners. The more they look really, you know, reactive, whether it's shut down, blamey, minimizing, defensive, um, they must be really, really hurting inside to act that way. I always say there's no angry people in the world. There are just people that look angry when they're really, really hurting inside.
2: That's true. Actually, I think that makes sense. It's always like I think I've said that before in the past that if if I'm if I'm reactive and argumentative and whatever I'm causing yeah, arguments yeah. and that that means that I care. Right. That when the when you should be scared is when I stop like I exactly. stop fighting. I stop reacting. That's when it means I stop caring.
1: Exactly. That's great. I, I yeah. For me to help a couple, I need to see both people are suffering. And their worst behaviors are actually evidence to me that they're suffering. Um, Then I can help. If if someone looks like they don't care, like whatever, they're upset with me, who cares? Like that's more troubling.
2: Yeah. No, you're right. Um, Why is it so hard to let go of a relationship even if your partner already let it go a long time ago?
1: Oh, man. I I mean, look, I, I, I would argue that can be the most painful experience human beings can go through. So... You know, if, if your body, your limbic system made the you are my person that I want to be with, I want to be enough with, and then that goes away, that's like, that. that is anyone that would, like, judge themselves or judge, judge another for that being devastating – I don't think they really understand what human nature, right? This built in need to be connected and just how excruciatingly painful it is to lose that special person in your life. Of course, it would be devastating.
2: Right. Because you're starting to go through, I'm unlovable. No one cares about me. I wasn't right. enough. And it's like you're just knocking yourself down more and more and more, which I've talked about in my other podcasts where. It's important for us to lift ourselves up. But in that moment, it's...
1: Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, shame is an accompanying emotion. And here's what I mean by that is like, you know, let's say like I feel really sad because I've lost someone in my life. Right? And so I'm in the emotion of sadness and grief, and then shame comes along and taps me in the shoulder and says, hey, I'm here too. Now you can feel like shit about yourself, as well as being sad and in grief, right? And that's like it, it, it 100Xs the suffering. I was already in, let's say, 10 units of suffering, like being in sadness and grief, and now shame comes along and 100Xs that 10 units. So now I'm in a 1,000 units of suffering. Right. So no, yeah. it's devastating to lose someone that you really wanted to be with and it wasn't your choice. Look, it's devastating letting go of a relationship that you know, that you love someone and you feel it's the right thing to do to let it go. That's no that's no like, you know, vacation sun holiday either, right? That's a pretty devastating thing to do as well.
2: Yeah. Um, so one of my biggest issues with myself is that um I I'm very impulsive. I get I. I I get rage. Like right. I get angry, and yeah. then not when the person next to me, but then when I have a second to sit and think, yeah. I think it's like my defense mechanism, like we talked about. So it, it's rage that comes right. out instead of I don't want to feel. I get I get angry that someone made me feel this way. Right, and then I'm so impulsive in the heat of the moment. I say things that I always regret. I've never said something. I've never sent a text or said something that I didn't regret five minutes later. Right, so. Someone like me, how, how am I able to, to work on that to not? Because, you know, because my mom said the words are like uh, birds. Once you let a bird out, that's yeah. it. It's out there. Right. And it's the same thing.
1: Yeah. Well, so the first thing is, you know, don't be too hard on yourself. Again, just like what we were talking about, right? Like you shouldn't judge yourself for the responses you have when you're really hurting. Um, especially if it's a pain that, you know, has historical significance for you, that you've experienced it before, it's going to be traumatic, it's going to be really painful, and you're going to have a reaction. Um, Now, of course, there are limits to that. Like you are saying, you can't be just shitting all over someone because you had a bad childhood. Like, yes, it makes sense that you're hurt and you'd be reactive, but you still are responsible for the pain. So this is the thing many things are true all at the same time it makes sense that you're hurt and it makes sense that you would be reactive and you're also still responsible for seeing the impact and the hurt that you've caused in another person all of those things are true but the first thing is look of course I'd be hurting and of course I would have had this reactivity and then can you try and make a repair Can you give yourself and the other person a chance to get back to connection again? And the best way to do that is you can take that responsibility. I know I just said all these terrible things. I only said these terrible things because I was hurting. And you know why I was hurting. You know why you were hurting.
2: Because I care so much.
1: Exactly. About them. Right. About them. And that's like, it's not like I care so much about you. I never would have reacted that way if you being connected to you whatever in whichever way wasn't so important to me that it hurt. And I took, it takes a while. When you get really hurt, your brain gets hijacked. And the part of your brain that goes into flight, flight, fl- flight, fr- fright, freeze... <laughs> reacts much quicker than the part of your brain that can go, oh, I wonder what I'm feeling. Let me be curious. Like, that part of your brain's not gonna be online when you first get your feelings hurt. So you're gonna have this moment of like, you know, the eyes narrowing the mist, right? Like, you you know, like it's gonna happen, and even if for you it's a little bit of a delayed reaction, you start stewing on it, and then you're like, you know what? Yeah, I should tell them a thing or two, right? Like, you're gonna have that moment But then hopefully you can limit how long that moment is, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say when you have an angry outburst right now, it lasts this long. Mm -hmm. And you cause this much suffering. What we want to do is have an angry outburst that lasts this long Mm -hmm. and uh, this long. And it causes just this much suffering. So it's a much smaller box of suffering. And then at the end of that box of suffering, you could actually give yourself and the other person a chance to get back connected again.
2: Yeah. Oh my God. I feel like through this whole podcast, I just realized my like, I never processed this until now. I literally never connected the dots. This is so funny. But I feel like I just realized my my attachment style or my um, my defense mechanism, where I came from. Because yeah. how I talked about, um, you know, the fact that like until 24, like I didn't have a good relationship with my father. Right. And then you said how I had to be there for myself. So I feel like now I finally understand my brain. Why I react a certain way that I react right. with lovers, with partners, yeah. which is I shut down right away. And I'm like, I have to be there for myself. So I don't right. need this type right. of love from you because I love myself. right? And now I get where it's coming yeah. from when I do that.
1: Right. And, and, and you know, you don't have to do it right now. I hope you take the time in your life to grieve for that little girl that had to learn to survive this way. Okay. <laughs> like I said, you don't have to do it today. <laughs> but, yeah.
2: Wait, what happens if I grieve for that little girl with that?
1: Then you can love her up and care for her. And then you look after her and love her for the rest of your life. When you go to a restaurant, you get a table for two, even though you're just on your own, because she sits first. Okay. you're gonna you're gonna be there for her for the rest of your life, and then you're gonna share that little vulnerable girl inside you with someone that is also willing to share that little vulnerable boy inside of them, and you're gonna love up and care for those little those little ones inside of each of you for the rest of your life
2: <laughs> that's really sweet um okay, so why don't we really quick talk about the test that I took okay. which is a really cool test, and everyone should check it out. This isn't even an ad it's like literally I was. I was taken back by the test and I really enjoyed it. Right. But anyway, it's an empathy.com with an I. And I took in, I got relentless lover. I, I don't know if like we have time for me to like read every question yeah. of what I'm doing. That's why I want people to do it themselves. But can you tell me the, how many, the type of lovers there are? And the results are there like a lot?
1: No, the, the way that it really just puts you on that axis, like um, the A-B axis of am I the person that's pursuing for closeness and more likely to feel abandoned? Or am I the person that is more likely to pull away from closeness because it seems like it's overwhelming or I may be in trouble? So there's actually... It just puts you on this A, B, so you're either will be categorized as a relentless lover or a reluctant lover.
2: But I think you can be, I feel like in a weird way, you can almost be both, or the way you feel inside, like I think sometimes I feel inside like a relentless lover, but the way I react without realizing is a reluctant Yeah, and the,
1: the empathy discovery process takes that into account, like... So on the surface, one might look like a relentless lover because I'm like, I'm blaming and critical, which is more likely the behaviors of a relentless lover. But deep down inside, I might feel like I'm not enough because I'm always a disappointment and I'm not worthy of love. And and then depending on your answers, we wait like, so there's a few different things. It's not just your outward behavior that determines your attachment style. There's also your story of yourself and what the vulnerable feelings are. So there's different things we take into account. And look. The empathy quiz and discovery process is like, it's supposed to be a beginning of a journey. Like you said, it's a lifelong journey. For many people, it's the first reflection they ever receive of this is who you are in a loving, kind way from an attachment perspective. And, And by the way, I don't know if you did this, but the one thing I would say that I think is the coolest thing about the empathy process is if you take it and then you invite your partner and they take it. And it can be man, woman, 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 man, man, they, they, right? We have it all. Like any Everything goes, right, uh, between two people um, only. Can't do more like three people. But if they both do it, right, if you both take the quiz, then we give you your relationship system report. And this is the coolest part. You can then see, oh, geez, would you look what we co-create together? So it actually illustrates for you, so when I'm hurting and then I blame you, now you're hurting in this way and no wonder now you pull away from me. And so it shows you what you co-create and then it gives you the steps of what you have to work on for the rest of your life. (laughs)
2: No, that was kind of cool. Yeah. It's like when the my partner pulls away, that makes me feel like abandoned and rejected would then makes me react this type of this way, yeah. which I pull away, which I think maybe makes my partner react this way. Right. So then I react this way. It's it's perfect. It's like, yeah. It was kind of crazy to see yeah. it. Um and then I think after I took after I took that um, quiz, then I also signed up on empathy dot um, com slash go. Oh yeah, I signed up on that course because you uh, gave me a coupon. So I'm really excited to do that because it's basically a course um, to learn how to to learn how to love better. Even though I yeah. think I'm already doing a good job, there's always more room to learn. Right. So I'm really excited to take that course and right. kind of what is that course about?
1: Yeah. So that look, I, I tried uh, as much as I could to put the A to Z of how to learn about yourself and how to be a better partner and how to make relationship work into one self-paced course. And so it's Learning to Love Better, the Conflict Solution. And so it's a course with 16 videos, is three over three hours of videos, me harping on. There's a really extensive workbook and you can take it on your own or take it with your partner. And what, what would be, what would be the best for your listeners? I can just Give them a discount Yeah, you can if do they that. take it. What would be the best like coupon code? I'll just create it.
2: Mm, maybe be crazy.
1: Okay. So yeah, so if if you go to empathy with an eye at the end.com forward slash go and you enter be crazy. On the checkout page, you'll get a 50% discount off the course.
2: Oh, nice. I and then the quiz is free. Right
1: the quiz is totally free. You just go to empathy.com and uh, hit the quiz in the main menu.
2: Yeah, I took it last night and I don't even have a partner. So I was just, anyway... So I was just uh, deciding, like in my brain, how I react on right. things like that. So it was really interesting, and that's what kind of made me want to like sign up for. Um,
1: you the can course. go through the whole process. It's actually a really cool thing to do if you do not currently have a partner. You can go through it and then invite, send it to your an, a second email of yours, and you could do an amalgamation of all your past partners, or you could do your ex. And you then read their self-discovery report as well as your own. And then you could then see your relationship system report to see what you co-created in the past and start to learn about yourself. So maybe when you're ready to get back in the saddle, yeah, you might be able to do it differently. Well, I think
2: it's important because I feel like you kind of get to learn then what type of partners you attract based on your reactions. And also, like, I feel like it, like even throughout this whole conversation, obviously in the beginning, certain things that you were talking about, I, my body stiffed up and I felt resentment, right. which obviously came came from whoever I was maybe dating or talking to that made me feel a certain way. And that's why I yeah. felt resentment. But then right. towards like the end of um, this episode, I started to feel like you said, it's like, oh, you little devil. So I started to feel more compassion for right. that person. Great. So I yeah. think that's why it doesn't matter if you have a partner right now or someone you were dating before. I think it's still really interesting to to kind of have compassion for yourself and compassion for your lover, your ex-lover, whether or not you will get back together—I don't know. It's and like, and
1: for yourself, and right? Especially for yourself. Yeah, exactly.
2: I'm always strong for myself. That is my biggest not, problem.
1: Well, <laughs> like I'm too not strong. Not that bad a problem. But.
2: Well, no, but then I, I think that's—I don't know—that my attachment stuff comes in, into that. But like, yeah. I think whatever, I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to work on. That. I have to, I have to do some research on that. Right. Understand.
1: Well, I, I'm happy to talk to you more and stuff. So.
2: Thank you. Okay, so um, thank you, by the way, so much for coming in today. I wish we had more time to talk about all these things because you really touched on a lot of things, and uh, you obviously, I can tell you, you know what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you.
2: Um, where can people find you?
1: Yeah, probably the easiest is just to stick with the empathy.com, and, that, again, it's empathy with an I on the end.com. Um, I couldn't afford empathy with a Y on the end.com, so that's, that's just it.
2: Yeah, okay. Um, do you have, like, um, Instagram, Facebook. I mean, look,
1: I made, um, because I'm married with two kids, I try not to do an awful lot of social media. You can find me on social media on empathynow.com now.com or not.com empathy now or Facebook Emp- empathy. Now I do have a YouTube channel. Honestly, I don't even know what the name, what the, the, it is on YouTube.
2: Okay. So guess if people, if you want to learn more about yourself and have com- empathy and compassion for yourself and empathy and love and compassion for your partner and for both of you, then you should definitely check out the website, empathywithaneye.com. And then you can take the free quiz. You can take the course if you wanted to learn how to love better. Um, just in general in life and for your partner for yourself and And you use the coupon coupon that he just gave which would be be crazy um you can get 50 percent off of that course um and you and your partner can take that so yeah it's all really cool stuff hopefully eventually you can come back because i would love to learn more about this uh all these emotion stuff and i'm really proud of myself that i I mean i was supposed to cry but i'm really proud of myself that i didn't cry through this episode but it was hard like i was feeling a lot of things you were saying and and well, thank you. Yeah. So thank you so yeah, much. Yeah. Thank for you so in. much, of Violet, course. for
1: having me on the show.